MTA Tudem Movies. I watch too many movies. MTA Tudem TV. I watch too much TV. Nah, in us more nah pay. Anything else to add? Imtagia Berry Nina. I'll head a VTR. Min Bao Quadrin. The world needs more robots. Lim in Pav. Lim Napet. I still have a page of notes. Hana Lim and Nim. I wasn't paying attention. Ahai Minek Bread. Star Lightning Round. Imam you acute who ring. Oh, I'm not ready. Im Gwil Suya A. I'll just wing it. Hana Ninanan. I'm in the zone. On in Naaman. Roll for initiative. Lothron I forsec King Polyphon. May the force be with you. And never you Yanan. Always. And Goben. Classic. Lothron Chinimalan. Whatever makes you a discerning geek. The Discerning Geeks Portal. Welcome back, discerning listeners, to the Discerning Geeks Portal, where each week we take a little discerning look into all things geek. My name is David, and I'm here with my buddies David, Todd, and Andrew for another awesome episode. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. This should be far more epic on what we're going to talk about. There should be like, you know, drums like... And you need to stay out of the liquor cabinet, because I don't know how many words you slurred in that opening. I did but slur it, a couple. It was a couple. <laughs> <laughs> and like send everything, and I know it's boring at work because you got transferred, and it's a little like store out in the middle of nowhere. But that does not mean you have the right to get into the vodka bottle like every afternoon. Like, yeah, it's true. I'm just going to have a few shots of this real quick. You know, we have introduced alcohol to our podcast. I know a lot of them do that. I got wasted in episode 55 during the Captain America review, but I guess I don't count. Oh, I love Drunk History, which, Plus, is, yeah. which is on Hulu. There is nothing better to watch somebody trying to talk about Abraham Lincoln and they're drunk off their butt. And yep. and, and they're trying to do like, John Wilkes Booth said, Sip Center, Sip Center, Ter- Sip Center, Ter- you know, and, and it's like three minutes. And the great thing about the show is they basically don't, ha- they have actors showing the historical scenes but they're saying the words that the drunk historian's saying. Oh, it's and awesome. <laughs> so it's great when, like, especially when one of them pukes. <laughs> and you see the guy just go, excuse me. And he, like, just ducks behind, like, another actor. And, Sorry. <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah, I'm not sure that that would help our podcast or hurt our podcast. Help. I'm trying to be a good little girl and not drink during the podcast anymore. But, trust me, I always need a post-episode glass of wine or three. After dealing with these bozos, Andrew's a little underage. No, 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 so. no, no, no. I'm 21. I'm 21. Don't worry about it. I'm 21. You I'm know. not sure if that's the route to go or I not. I have cancer, so I can always get medical marijuana. Just get him high. <laughs> oh, that's that's even better. Let's do it. I'd have to apply for a card, though. It's not too early. I guess we could ask our audience. You know, if you think we would do a better job podcasting, if you know we started drinking before we got on the show, what's better send yet? Us an email. Andrew, Andrew's sober and the rest of us drunk. Now, yeah, that, that, would, that would be funny. The only problem is there's only one person I know in the world that could get Todd to drink, and we'd have to call her. Her, her, Todd. The I only person, I, the only person I ever know that got Todd to drink at a bar was Tiffany Apple. Oh, Tiffany. Okay. Boom, yep. All right. So our topic for today, we have another one of our special episodes. And so buckle in, guys. This one may run a little long as we are covering all three of the Lord of the Rings movies. Talk. Dun, dun, dun. You sound out of the one of those movie trailers with how you sounded. You got the deep voice and then you're like stopping every other word. Like, <laughs> So, Todd, do you have a, a breakdown for these or are we just kind of going uh, with? Partially. Partially. Okay. That, that's going to be four hours by itself. Yeah, for real. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and just to clarify that this is uh, one of Dave's picks for special topics. So this is not actually a movie review in our usual typical sense, or at least uh, it wasn't intended that way. And that's why the entire trilogy is lumped together. It's kind of a special topic. So um, not sure how we're going to handle it, but yeah, it's not the usual deep dive review as much as it's a kind of a general overview of the entire trilogy. So Lord of the Rings 
A group of small folk from a peaceful shire get involved in a vast war over a powerful artifact known as the One Ring, belonging to a reascending enemy that would see all of Middle-earth ruled by darkness and despair. The Lord of the Rings trilogy is starring too many people to list. So so, so I'm not going to bother. Now, one thing I was noticing when I rewatched it recently is that um, I don't know if the theatrical version does this, but the extended cut of the third one, Return of the King, uh, does include in credits that includes everybody from the trilogy. I I think. I I don't know about the entire trilogy, but... it does include some people who are either not in that third movie or if they are, they're there only through the extended edition. So I think it, it, those final credits are a way of kind of summarizing the entire cast of the entire trilogy. So if you're curious, watch the end credits. The Lord of the Rings movies were released in December, right around Christmas in the consecutive years of 2001, 2002 and 2003. Those are good Christmases. Oh yeah. Yeah, Definitely. Uh, they have a rating of PG-13. They were written by Fran Walsh, Philippa Boyens, and Peter Jackson. And some guy named Stephen Sinclair also gets co-writing credit for the middle movie, The Two Towers. All three were directed by Peter Jackson. And where to find them right now, you can find them on HBO Max. Or if you're a normal human being, they're already in your DVD collection. So I actually had a confession to make. Um I'm not sure how, but this ended up being the first time that I had seen the extended editions. I had always right. just watched the regular editions. Um, I think most of the time it was me. You know, of course, I watched them when they first came out in the theater and it wasn't the extended edition. And then, you know, kind of they would come on TV and I would watch them. And those usually weren't the extended editions. I own the extended editions. I have since they came out. Um, but I had never like popped them in and actually watched them. I just kind of had them in my cabinet going, these are the greatest movies ever. So I just needed them. And I finally broke down and watched all the extended editions for these three movies. And it's worth the extra, you know, a little bit of time, maybe 45 minutes, I guess each one, uh, uh, to watch the extended because you do get a little bit more. And, and I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, I actually had the stats on that uh, right in front of me. Uh, for Fellowship of the Ring, the extended edition is 30 minutes longer. For The Two Towers, it's 47 minutes longer. And for Return of the King, it is uh, let me see, 51 minutes longer. So altogether, the theatrical editions uh, total up to nine hours and 18 minutes. The extended editions add up to 11 hours and 26 minutes. So basically it's more than two hours extra altogether. So it's almost like the extended editions are an entire extra movie. Tacked yeah. on. It's, it's an event. You, you, you don't decide to watch Lord of the Rings unless you you plan ahead. Yeah. I mean, and we've joked about it. I think I still want to do an event one time where I just start in the morning watching them and watch them straight through. I've, couldn't do that obviously this time um so you know it was more of watching half of a movie one night watching another half another night watching another you know half of a movie another day and then um so it took a little you know it took me probably about a week to end up watching it all um but oh my goodness so good and so many of the things that i kind of lamented when i had first watched it and go oh i kind of hate that they they took that out and it wasn't in there um from the books i was happy to see that it was in there it was just in the extended it wasn't in the regular edition so um you know a few things are still left out we were kind of talking um before getting on you know if you've read the books you kind of will notice a few scenes that aren't in the movie but not a lot. Um, you know, probably one of the greatest strengths of these movies is how close they are to the books. Um, and these are epic books. Please, please, please. If you haven't ever read Lord of the Rings, um, you know, read them. It's worth the effort. I know that, it's a long read if you try to do them all, but I mean, they, they come in three different books, just like the movies. Um, and so you can divide it up and watch them that way. 
But Andrew, you're kind of the young one, but this is your generation, right? This is your generation's exposure to my generation, classic, classic fantasy, right? Um, Mm -hmm. This remake of this epic classic tale is probably how your generation gets it more than the actual reading. So what did you think? What did you think of these movies? They were pretty good. I did not watch the extended version, though. That's okay. I watched the theatrical. And part of the reason I did that is because I don't think I'd enjoy the extended version as much if I didn't compare it to the theatrical. And I'd have to watch the theatrical first. But I'll get around to it sometime. But it was really good. The symbolism, the cinematography, and the writing were all just... Well, I guess there was no writing. But... I mean, well, no, there was writing. Somebody had to come up with the lines. Yeah, I mean, some of the lines were definitely taken straight out of the book, but others were definitely not, you know, as they adapted this this book to, or series of books, to the screen. So, um, yeah, there's still some, some writing, and I thought the writing was good. Dave, what do you think? It's the greatest thing ever. <laughs> saw that one coming the, the, the only trilogy that beats this trilogy is Star Wars and that's because I'm a Star Wars fan which Star Wars trilogy? there's only one trilogy the everything new trilogy? <laughs> are you talking about the new trilogy? Every, every, everything else is fluff the prequel trilogy that's fluff the it's ending trilogy that's fluff the trilogy Four, five, and six. Stay on target. But, you know, this is Lord of the Rings. Stay on target. If you are a geek, a lot of the movies and things that we enjoy and love come from a literary literary aspect. In other words, not only do we watch the films, typically we also either are inspired by the film to go find the literary work that the film may have been based off of and read it. Um, because that's usually what happens with me a lot, or I've read the literary work and I'm going to see the film because I want to see either how close it is to the book or does it, does my joy translate into it? This trilogy, especially with the extended versions is so closely, uh, I mean, it's, it's like a sliver of paper between the literary work and the cinematography job that was done in the joy that I get from watching the film that I almost, I almost don't have to read the book anymore, even though I know there's stuff in it, in the books that, that aren't in the film, but yet are easily, I think, forgivable. And I know that there's a lot of people that, that are like, Oh my God, I can't believe that he said that. But it's one of those of there, there comes a point where you have to be honest with yourself. And I think that the, the, the few moments that are not in this grouping of movies are forgivable because if you really think back to it, you can kind of tell, no, that's not really necessary for the story. You could still tell that such dedication and, and commitment to getting it right was put into these films that you know that they knew what they were leaving out. And so it wasn't like, well, we just don't need that. We just don't need that. We just don't need that. That wasn't just frivolously thrown away. You you could tell that there was serious discussions about leaving something out instead of it just being, well, we just don't need that. I can't think of any movie that so does a better job of putting the word of the books onto the screen. I just can't think of anything that rivals it. Um, and there's some fairly good, you know, movie adaptations to some books out there. Most of them have some very severe flaws that they fall very short. It's almost never that I'm going to say that a movie is better than a book. It's almost never that I'm going to say that the movie is as good as the book. But I got to say that in this case, it's as close as I think they possibly could come, especially with the extended edition. Um, There's just so much there that it it just amazes me. Um, I haven't heard from Todd yet. I don't think, Todd, you've never read the book, have you? 
No, I think I've read bits and pieces, maybe. Um, I think one time I tried to read the first book. I didn't make it all the way through. And then just recently when I was trying to figure out um, what was taken out as far as the scouring of the Shire, I did skim through that chapter of Uh the book. And I think I even skimmed a little bit of the last chapter of the book, which comes right after that. Um, And by the book, I mean The Return of the King. Um, But yeah, I, I haven't read them all the way through. I did listen to a kind of a book on CD and it wasn't a reading. It was more of a radio drama. So I'm still not sure that it was everything for the book. It might've been an abridged version. So I've kind of absorbed the book through audio, uh-huh. uh, but that was something like 10, 15 years ago too. Let's go ahead and get your, your rough opinion of this, these movies. Well, just recently when there was an episode that you couldn't make it to and the other three of us did something called Alpha Movie Vet, uh-huh. uh, everybody check out that episode. That was actually a pretty cool episode. We talked about um, some of our favorite movies starting uh, in order with the alphabet. And, of course, starting right at A, one of my favorite movies is The American President. But I mentioned in that episode that it is my all-time favorite non-Lord of the Rings movie, basically revealing indirectly that the Lord of the Rings trilogy are my top three favorite movies of all time, with The American President being a very close fourth. So yeah, these are my favorite movies. Now you're talking about how long they are. Because of how long they are, and because I'm not that much of a rewatcher, especially when it comes to movies at, at home, it's been years since I've watched the Lord of the Rings trilogy and I've thought about it and I've wanted to, but just never got around to it. The viewing for this review that we're doing now kind of gave me the excuse to do that. And just like you, I kind of had to break it up into pieces because it's just so gargantuan. Uh, but I really did enjoy seeing it again. And because they are so expansive, I did get maybe not completely new things out of it, but I was kind of surprised there. I want to kind of talk, talk about it later, but there was one moment that kind of affected me emotionally that I'm not sure did before. Also, uh, I don't know when we'll get to specific moments, but there is a moment near the end of Return of the King. As far as I'm concerned, it is one of the best, if not the best moment in cinematic history. So it's got a lot of great moments. It's they're my favorite movies for a lot of reasons. Now, despite that, you know me, I've still got nitpicks. I've still got just a few, not many. And oddly enough, very few from the first movie. So, yeah, these are, are my uh, favorite movies. Oh, and also another point I wanted to make. Uh, Dave, you were talking about uh, the production of it and how well it was done. Uh, there's one person on YouTube that I've been following for a long time, way back when he had a podcast and a blog before that, John Campia. And I'm pretty sure that John Campy is the person that has one time described Lord of the Rings trilogy as being one of those sets of movies where every department was at the top of their game, uh, where, you know, like the, the third movie, I think they were all nominated for several Academy Awards, but the third movie broke records for literally winning everything it was nominated for. Uh, it's one of those trilogies where if anybody in any department of that production was not on top of their game. If anybody was the bad seed, any of those departments, it doesn't show. It's like everybody showed up and put up their a game, whether it was uh, directing cinematography, writing, acting props, sets, costumes, hair, makeup, uh, location scouting. Basically everybody did their A plus work on this movie. And, you know, there are a lot of good movies out there where you can say, well, it was really good in these ways, but then it kind of faltered in these other ways, not Lord of the Rings. Children. They are awesome from beginning to end, every aspect. Yes. I mean, and I kind of knew going into this, that this may end up being a little bit of a gush fest and, and I'm not going to apologize for it. If you don't feel like these movies are great, that's fine. We'd love to hear from you and hear why, but I'm with you. There's no part of these movies that I can look at and go, wow, you know, everything else is good, but this needed to be a little bit stronger. Um, The cinematography is phenomenal. It's cinematography, not cinematography. There's no N in the middle just some of the ways that they do the camera angles sweeping in on battlefields, um, focusing in on certain parts and then pulling it. It's just fantastic. Um, the directing is, is phenomenal. The acting is phenomenal. Like you said, the makeup, even the costumes, uh, the music, 
the score, everything about it is, is very top notch and it deserved many, many Academy Awards. Um, you know, the story is already phenomenal and I think that's where I have to give the biggest props and, and what I was so excited about too often. I think it's like, all right, we're doing this movie and we have this big name and we know that it's going to make money because people have always wanted us to do one of these movies, but then they halfway do it or it just doesn't come across so well. One of our favorite books is Ender's Game. And we talked about that in our episode where we reviewed Ender's Game. That was episode 50, the season one finale of the Discerning Geeks portal. Check out that review. And talked about the movie is it, it just falls so flat. But here they took up the mantle. They took the challenge and they said, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it right. We're going to make it epic in scope. And it is so epic in scope. The, the, you know, just the, the scenes that are there, the battles that are there, um, the creatures that you come across, you feel like you're in this world of middle earth when you're watching these movies and you get the whole scope of all this dramatic story that's going on and you become so attached to these characters. And I'm also with you, Todd. I know exactly what scene you're talking about at the end of the return of the King. Um, I think everybody does where, you know, you're just almost overwhelmed with emotion, the way that it finishes out. Um, I kind of laughed. Somebody used that on Facebook um, kind of as a, a meme and it was, you know, the wife talking to him and it's like, don't you ever get emotional? Nothing makes you sad. And it actually showed that, that a picture of that scene and, and the guy like has a cartoon, big, huge tears just rolling down his face. It's like, yeah, that'll make you cry. Um, and so I think there are elements of this movie that just are so much greater than, than the sum of its parts. What, specifically do you guys want to talk about first we will talk about characters we will talk about scenes um dave it's your topic why don't you pick one what 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 do we want to focus on first when we talk about this lord of the rings this movie would have never worked if they had not found vigo morgenstern okay um i fully and absolutely 100 percent believe that now that's not to say that the other characters aren't good that the guys that played the hobbit and and orlando bloom as legolas um or, or um, oh, I can't think of his name because he's actually a really good actor that I'll enjoy uh, who played Gimli. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know the name of the actor that I, played I Gimli. <laughs> I can't think of his name, but he's really actually a really famous actor. In fact, he, he suffered through a lot of it because the makeup actually made him break out and he, he still wore it. Um, John Rice Davies. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Aragorn is Viggo Mortensen. Yeah, uh, as Viggo Mortensen. Uh, Mortensen, sorry. However you say his last name. Mortensen. Sorry, if I pick on Dave for cinnamon, tography, I have to be an equal opportunity pronunciation corrector. Before this movie, I couldn't tell you what he did to save my life. But since this movie is, uh, if I hear he's in a film, I take a look at it. You know, like I'm like, do I want to see this? You know, and I may not watch it because it just may be something that doesn't interest me. But if I hear he's in it, I'm almost always like, okay, let me see what this is about. Like there was another movie after this one that he did called Hildago that I thought was great. I, I just, I don't know why. Maybe it's just one of those where he fit my idea of Strider so well that that's the reason it worked. But I don't know. I, I just felt like, especially with him, there was such a dedication to the character he played that he he brought everyone else up with him. And then you had mainstays like Sean Bean as Boromir. And who was the guy that played um, the other elf? Elrond. Elrond. Thank you. Hugo Weaving. Thank you. Hugo Weaving. And then of course you had uh, Gandalf. You had these, these, these anchors. And that's how I looked at those characters. Sean Bean, Hugo Weaving. Why can't I think of the guy that played Gandalf? Ian McKellen. Thank you. I've got can't, the cast list right in front of me. Can't believe I forgot Ian McKellen. Uh, and, and a few others, don't get me wrong, that were your anchors. And and so the way I look at it is, is it was almost as if you had these characters throughout the entire trilogy that anchored the cast down. 
because they played these characters that were the solid rocks of kind of each part of the story. But yet you had, in a way, you had not only the perfect person playing Strider, but you also had a, a actor that was dedicated enough to understand the importance of what he was doing because he understood the epic nature of what was going on but also was able to tether to these anchors and still flow around them in the manners that needed to be moved in the way that acting has to be done, where sometimes it goes up and down and left and right. And you have to do things sometimes off key and sometimes very, very on key. And everyone else that didn't necessarily have to anchor to these major rocks were able to anchor the, to him. And so I honestly believe in my heart uh, and this is just me. If it had not been for Vigo, it, it 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 wouldn't have worked. I just that's just what I think, and that's my whole character thing when it comes to the whole Lord of the Rings. If it hadn't been for him, you could have forgot it. Oh, and I don't think it was him at first. I don't know. I just now remembered that, but I think that there was something about how he was not the original person cast. That's right. Somebody else was cast. I think I can't remember that guy's name, but I think it was the guy that was going to be Wolverine. Uh, in the X-Men movies, I think. I'm not Hugh wrong. Jackman? It, no, the guy that was going to be uh, Wolverine before Hugh Jackman, oh, I think. I don't know who that I, one I might, is either. I, I might be remembering wrong. Yep, you were wrong. Viggo Mortensen replaced Irish actor Stuart Townsend on The Lord of the Rings the day before principal photography began. It was Scottish actor Dougray Scott that Hugh Jackman replaced last minute in the first X-Men movie. What would you amateurs do without me? But anyway, yeah, I think he got replaced. And I think one of his first scenes was on Weathertop. In fact, that might have been his very first scene. Hey, you got that part right. Maybe you're worth something after all. If so, it's just amazing because you couldn't tell that he just walked on the set without much training. Weathertop's and, and, one of those epic moments. Yeah, he, you're right that he did have a lot of dedication. Like uh, there's that one scene in the two towers early on when he kicks a helmet yeah. because he's yeah. angry. He and actually he does break his, his toe, toe yeah. and, he, and he yells out because he's actually in pain. But then he calms down just long enough for them to say cut. And then he's like, oh, I got a broken toe. Yeah, the pain he shows is real. And that's yeah. why it works so well. And I think if I remember correctly from the – not only are the movies themselves massive, but the massive amount of behind-the-scenes material that's on the DVDs and Blu-rays. If I remember correctly, I think there was another time later in the production where he chipped a tooth and they had to force him to leave set to go and get his, his chipped tooth fixed. So, yeah, he did have a lot of dedication, and he was a, a last-minute change, like you said, was very good. And since we're talking about cast stuff, you know, I mentioned the uh, in-credit sequence in the third movie, I Liv Tyler must have a great agent because she is somehow third billing in those credits and she's nowhere near the third most yeah. important character. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, she's hot and, and, and she's fun to look at and she's a fun character. But yeah, in this whole series, yeah. <laughs> she's like 15th maybe of importance in the whole thing. Yeah. Oh, and you were talking about mainstays. Also, Ian Holm as Bilbo Baggins in the first and third movies. Yeah, right? true, mm -hmm. true, true. Who did come back and reprise his role in The Hobbit for a while. So for did Hobbit get filmed and released first or after? After. After. Okay. Yeah, so they are prequels. Yeah. So which, Wars. which that is a case of studio greed. Because when Peter Jackson agreed to do... Peter Jackson always wanted to do The Hobbit. He did. He, he didn't have a problem with doing The Hobbit, but Peter Jackson planned to do two movies because The Hobbit book is tiny compared to oh, yeah. any of the Lord of the Rings films. And he had mm -hmm. it set to where he was going to split it up into two movies. And the studio was like, no, you're going to do three. And that's the only reason you have three Hobbit movies. Now, I'm not saying that I don't enjoy The Hobbit trilogy, you know, just to go off track for a minute. But... I'm sorry for all the people who are fans. That is an episode of Studio Greed because Peter Jackson was only going to do two and the studio made him do three. Jackson, now, who's slurring words? And again, not, not to get off on too much of a tangent, but okay, no big surprise. I haven't read The Hobbit either. So I don't know just how bad it was a spread out job to, to make that one book into three movies. But I've always had the argument that it's not so much that spreading it out into three movies is so bad. It's trying to spread it out into three gargantuan movies, just like the Lord of the Rings trilogy. They could have made three small movies, and you never know. It might have turned out okay. But they tried to make them giant again, and that's what was bad. 
Uh, well, what it is is the last movie, the Battle of the Five Armies. Uh, you're taking two chapters of the book and stretching it into a three and a half hour movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that's the problem. It's not really that the first and the second are bad in any in any kind of way. Um, what they Peter Jackson actually should be credited for for how he stretched them out because the whole smog thing was like a what twelve pages. Um, you know, something like that, but you know, that's a good stretched out part and it works. And so he found the places to stretch it out in the Hobbit that, that did work, but it, it does get to where you're like, well, holy crap, what is going on? Because the last movie is literally like the two chapters of the book and it's stretched into this three hour movie. Todd, you had some, I think kind of character superlatives. Is that how you worded mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Um, since we're talking about characters, do you want to kind of give us your breakdown as to uh, kind of what those superlatives might be and, and how you kind of rate some of the characters? I, I can. Do you want me to just list all of mine or do you want me to do like a category and then we all give our answer? Let's start with a category and see how we do. We'll see if we okay. can keep up with you because I know you've had a little okay. head start. Okay. So first is just coolest character. Who is the coolest character? I said Aragorn. Yeah, I have to agree with that. It's it's still Vigo. Who's that? That's Strider. Aragorn. Who? Aragorn, the king. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't... I, I literally caught no one's name. The other human besides Sean Bean who played Borg. No, I, I know who you're talking about now. Okay. The brown hair. Yeah, the guy that wore the cloak all that... Never, never, I, yeah. I, I'm starting to it's worry either about him or the elf. It's probably him. There's though. a lot of people that will go with the elf because of all the cool stuff Orlando and Bloom got to do, but no, I have to go with Todd. It's it's Aragorn. Yeah, I'm actually a little torn because uh, Legolas got to do some a lot more of the fun, cool stunts. You, he yeah. Gets to yeah, surf down on a shield and keep firing arrows, and and he gets to swing up the the legs and the trunk I just of hope, the elephant at the end. And, I, I I just hope Todd asks who's the most comedic character. That's next up. Yeah. Oh, good, because I know who that is. Okay, so funniest, it's got to go to Gimli. Gimli, Gimli. <laughs> a storms are are dangerous over short distances. That still causes one. Yeah. <laughs> After he kills the elephant, that still counts as one. <laughs> no one throws a dwarf. Okay, I can't make it. You're gonna have to toss me. <laughs> toss me. Don't tell the elf. Not a word. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and again, expert casting. Yes. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, just uh, absolute expert casting. Andrew, did you say who the funniest was? Uh, the dwarf. Okay. Uh, next up is most honorable, and I said Theoden, king of Rohan. Honorable. I would go with um, Samwise Ganji. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go off track. I'm actually gonna say Boromir. Okay. In the end, yeah. Hmm, interesting. Okay. I, I I just think that you know. I know that when you watch the series and you, and you watch what he did, and and he kind of gets you know, manipulated by the ring. I know that that's a, that's a negative, but yet he went on that quest with the purpose of saving his land. And it's either him or his brother. I was going to say his brother, Faramir. Faramir. Yeah. Cause Faramir makes up for his lacking of justice. But I think Boromir, if you're talking about honorable, Boromir went and did what he was going to do. He got manipulated by the ring, which I think manipulated his honor to try to steal it or try to take it. And that's how the ring got him was through his honor. That's how I, that's what I think. Andrew, do you have one? Uh, yeah, it's probably Sam. Cause he was just, I feel like out of everyone, he got tempted the less, the, the least. <laughs> no, I, yeah. Sam is to me kind of that honor. he, he is nothing but the best friend and he plays it all the way to the end. Yeah. He, um, he just got wrapped into it and then he just followed through to his work. Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, I think, I think Boromir is an interesting choice because you're right. Other than the fact that he got corrupted by the ring. Well, 
as soon as he realized he got corrupted, yeah. you could you could also tell he felt horrible he, for it. He had an OS moment, you know, an OS yeah. shoot, shoot moment where he realized yeah. what he did. And that's the reason I, I – and this is just me looking really deep into it with my own thoughts. I, I think that's how the ring got him was that – because, you know, evil – you know how it is what they always say about Satan. Satan's not really a devil. He doesn't he's not surrounded by fire and wearing a pitchfork. He always shows up like looking like your best friend or an angel or whatever. You know, he, he it's deception. And so that's how I think the ring got it because that's how I've always looked at the ring. The the, the ring is so adept at manipulating people that it realized that Boromir was such an honorable character about I promised my father I would bring back the weapon that would protect our kingdom that I think that's what the ring was whispering to him. And yeah. that's the reason he tried to steal it. And so yeah. he, the ring used his own honor against him. And I think that's the reason why, why when you brought up that point about when it kind of hits him, what he, what he tried to do, he has that look on his face because he realized, oh crap, I really wasn't trying to hurt anybody, but I did, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And the one, the one weakness of Sam, though, as far as honor, was how he treated Gollum. Now, granted, Gollum is, is despicable in any way. He almost deserved it. But the fact that Sam is so quick sometimes to insult him, hit him, stuff like that, it's like, eh, Sam isn't perfect. He's got a bit of a temper. Yeah. Uh, so next category yeah, is Yeah, but he's most... got a temper because he's protective of Frodo. Yeah, because yeah. it's literally like a little. Well, that's demon. why I think Sam's eligible for another category, and we'll just have to see if Todd brings it up. Which might be the next one. Most important, it's undoubtedly Frodo, but an extremely close second is Sam because Frodo could not have done it alone. And it, I think Frodo and Sam are so important that when I watched it this time, I kind of clued into one comparison to the Harry Potter movies. In the Harry Potter movies, they've got that game called Quidditch which is basically soccer on flying broomsticks. If that were all it was, it would be pretty cool. But the reason why I view Quidditch as one of the stupidest ideas ever is because that game with the, the flying soccer on broomsticks does not matter because one person on each team is going after this little golden snitch thing or, or flying snitch or whatever it's called, this little thing. And if they catch it, it's the end of the game and they get some crazy amount of points. Like I can't remember if it's 15 or 150. It's 150 points for the golden snitch with flying broomstick soccer goals worth 10 each. But in a way, in the Lord of the Rings movies and the books, too, all the war and all the other character stuff that's going on, it, it's it's not fluff. It's good stuff. But it is kind of secondary because really, honestly and truly, the only thing that matters is whether Fro and Sam get there and whether they destroy the ring or not. They are the golden snitch scenario. Um, so anyway, yeah. So Frodo is the most important. What do you guys think? Now, we got to define the category okay. by importance. Do you mean importance to the protagonist completing their quest or importance to the story overall? The world. <laughs> Most well, important to the world not sucking. And, and actually, this is an interesting question because this is even debated in the book of who is the hero of the Lord of the Rings when you read the book. And it's actually been debated, you know, do you say that the story is the hero is Frodo and he is the the ultimate hero? When Tolkien actually wrote it, he actually wrote it to be Aragorn. Aragorn. There's an R in there. Um, as the hero. He's the human. He's the one with the character arch. Arc, not arch. Welcome to Mispronunciation Theater that is supposed to be the hero of the story. But you do have these side-by-side -side tales going on, and, and each one is the hero in their own sense. Um, so you do have hobbits who end up being kind of instrumental. Yeah, I, I still kind of lean towards Frodo, because um, even though, like I said, kind of having done some research and... Um, kind of back in the day, goodness gracious, I can't tell you how much I used to know about Lord of the Rings. The other part of that story is Tolkien was writing The Hobbit, The Lord of the Rings, out of his, some of his experiences from the World Wars. He, was, he had fought, he had seen people die, and having been a part of the World War One, you know, where they were in the trenches, he saw 
that the hero of those battles was usually just the small common man. It was almost never the the generals. It was never the people in charge. It was never the big, the big people who were, you know, this, that, and the other. It was your average John Smith who was drafted and given a gun and put down in the trenches that ended up being the hero. That was kind of part of the story that he wanted to tell um, was how that small person and, and it was both figurative and um, realistic, you know, real in the way that he put it in Hobbit, you know, which, you know, in D&D terms, the halfling, the smallest of the people, you know, described in the movie as he would look like a child to you. This was kind of who he saw as being the person who could save the world and, and how he wanted that story to come about. So it's kind of both, but yeah, for me, it's Frodo. This is one of those, this is definitely an interesting question because there's, there's a lot of cases that could be made, of course, for Frodo, but yet I think Frodo's out because Frodo succumbed to the ring. Mm-hmm. So he didn't save anybody. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Sam is a very good case because Sam got Frodo to where he's going. There could be a very strong arm- argument for Gollum. This is going to be very philosophical, but the hero of Lord of the Rings is Sauron. What? And the reason is, is because J.R.R. Tolkien told a truth in Lord of the Rings. It may take a long time for the truth to come about, but it always happens. And it's basically evil devours itself. Gollum's obsession and love with the ring is, and his knowledge of it, of what it can do, gave him the ability to, when Frodo turned, to become so jealous that he attacked Frodo to get his precious back. And therefore, in his celebration of getting his precious back, did the very thing that would destroy the ring. That's the reason I actually say that technically the hero in the Lord of the Rings is Sauron himself because he created a weapon that was so powerful and so destructive and so manipulative that in the end he ended up destroying himself because it was that very want of such a such a precious thing that caused his demise, which is what everybody was striving for to start with. I know that's very philosophical and and weird. That's pretty deep. No, no. And I would almost even kind of lump Gollum in there with it, because even though it's almost accidental. Yeah. Yeah, it's accidental. But I mean, and I think that's the reason why there is this conversation where Gandalf kind of when he's talking to Frodo, I think at the end of the movie, he mentions something along those lines about how it was mercy that stayed Bilbo's hand. And when you think about, it, had Bilbo killed Gollum, they would have lost. Yeah. Because yeah. as soon as Frodo put on the ring, Sauron immediately knew what happened. The ring race left the final battle to go get it. And had Gollum not been there, then it would have been over. Well, and I won't get too religious here, but I, I one of the things that I've always loved about this story and Tolkien's writing he didn't set out to write a religious story. He even claimed that, you know, it, it's not supposed to be like a, a religious allegory. You know, we're going to review very soon the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, which his buddy C.S. Lewis wrote. Um, you know, Tolkien actually helped convert C.S. Lewis to become a Christian you know, C.S. Lewis did write The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe to be religious allegory. It's supposed to be to where when you read it, you're, you feel like you're reading a story from the Bible and you see all the characters. Um, Tolkien did not want to do that. But he did say that he felt like any artist who is a believer and who believes in, in Christ and follows this, this Bible set in their work, it will show, you know, if you're an artist and you're painting and you're a Christian, your love of God and Christ is going to show in your artwork, regardless of if you're painting a cross or just a bird on a wire. 
And that was kind of how Tolkien felt about it. He felt like his faith would be seen in his work, even if he wasn't specifically writing like Soren is supposed to be the devil. This person is supposed to be God. This person is supposed to be a Christ figure. That's not the story he was writing. But at the same time, we do see some of those elements. We see this temptation towards evil. We see this temptation overcoming. And in a way, we see that the temptation is so great that no one person can overcome it on their own that there is a greater force that helps us overcome that and overcomes the sins that we do. And so that's one of the the, the great things about the story is, as I read it, is being able to see those elements um, and, and feel that kind of connection that is there, even though it wasn't written to be hey, you're supposed to read this as X person is the devil or, or the hero or whatever. Um, and I think that's why kind of even the question before is we're you're talking about the hero. I think that's why it's a little bit difficult. Um, I think we know that there is something bigger than even these characters working behind the scenes to make this come out for good. There is this power, this God that is working to overcome this evil um, for those who are willing to work for his good. And and even though it's not written that way, it's not stated, I think that that is part of the story and, and part of what we can kind of see is going on. Um, that's just me getting a little religious on everybody, but that's kind of the way I do. Uh, what's your next category, Todd? Do we have any more? Oh, yeah, I've got four more. Oh, let's go. Uh, Okay, most sympathetic. At first I said Faramir. In fact, that's part of the reason I created this category because of him having to put up with his father being kind of uh, abusive and and very uh, showing so much favoritism to, to Boromir and kind of treating Faramir like crap. And then Faramir got tempted by the ring and had to give it up, so he had to do things the hard way. But then in the third movie, Return of the King, I paid attention to his his second attempt to hold Osgiliath and realized, you know, he didn't put more uh, archers in the towers. He didn't put more lookouts when the orcs snuck up. They didn't even put out their torches. And I was like, maybe Faramir is a screw-up after all. So I changed my answer <laughs> to Aowen. <laughs> Who? I'm sorry. Aowen is Aowen. who I changed my answer to. Yeah. I heard ale and I was like, oh, Todd's okay. drinking again. Todd isn't slurring his words. You bozos just aren't paying attention. I'm sorry. sorry. Give me the category one more time. See what I mean. Most sympathetic. Most sympathetic. I guess it depends on how you define sympathetic. Like you're thinking kind of characters that you feel sorry for. Yeah, that they kind of have a sucky situation and that either there's no way out of it or if there is, uh, it's kind of a, a slow burn. Yeah, so with that, I've got to go with Gollum. Same. Wow. Yeah, I mean, here's a a creature that, or a person, we know, you know, kind of as this movie develops, that it was a real person that that gets corrupted so much to the point that they are just mad with not even knowing how to act. And at times they, they try very hard to overcome that and actually do what's right. And then he gets betrayed or he thinks he gets betrayed, but definitely easily kind of manipulated by the, the powers that be and, or the, that power of the ring. Um, and so, yeah, I, I would go with Gollum. Is this, is this question who am I most sympathetic of? Or is this question, who do I believe which character is the most sympathetic to everybody else? See that? I guess, my, um, I guess most sympathetic to you is, is your answer. So it's your opinion. Oh, well, then I would define it as, as who do I think is most sympathetic to everything else going on. Todd told me later that he misunderstood your question about his question and that that's not the way he meant the question, which means you answered the wrong question, but it's Todd's fault you did, and it's too late now. So go ahead with the answer to the wrong question. This is an example of why you guys drive me bananas. And if that's the case, then it, I can't, oh God, I can't remember. Is it Pippin that ends up at Go, uh, Gondor? Or is it Mary? Uh, Pippin. It's Pippin. Yeah. It's Pippin. Yeah. It's Pippin. Pippin then. 
Because if hmm. I consider if I consider it being the character that's most sympathetic to everybody else's plight, it's Pippin. Pippin, who was who started out as being this carefree hobbit, who uh, really only cared about what he wanted to do. Really, is how I looked at it, which is why they get into trouble so many times. Um, turns into being this uh, very dedicated hobbit because he takes on roles to save people. And I think it comes through in, and I know he was a good singer, but I think it definitely comes through in the charge of Faramir against the city that his father orders. And he sings that song where his father tells him, sing me a song from your land. And if you really listen to the words of that song about what he's singing, he, he knows, he knows, Pippin knows in his head what Faramir and all those men that are with Faramir are doing. And he knows what the outcome is going to be. And for a hobbit to understand the epicness of the sacrifice and death that is about to happen while he's singing that song shows how he has stopped worrying about his fun time and his carefree life because he's already been changed forever on the idea of the sympathy of other people even though he may not be involved in it so if that if that's how i take the question it's pippin okay i guess he's the most improved player maybe but that's the reason that's the reason i asked the definition or at least like morally because i understand you guys i would have said the same thing if i take the question as who am i most sympathetic of yes it would have been Gollum. but if it was who did i think which character was most sympathetic of everyone else around them in the film it's pippin which is hard because you can make a big argument for mary because mary was always kind of like that to start with but i i think it's pippin which one did you say todd eowyn eowyn so and, and my original answer was fair i don't give a crap about Gollum because i think he had a dark side to begin with yeah um yeah no i think eowyn i could definitely see that one as well i i, I think eowyn probably would be my second choice because i did like her story is is kind of neat and it's interesting. Uh, you kind of almost get the, the the sense that there's a little bit of a love triangle with her and Aragorn and Arwen, and, and why they made it Eowyn and Arwen and make them very close to <laughs> to get them confused. I don't know. Um, her just trying to do what's right for her people she's always trying to do what's best and and she does you could tell kind of have this infatuation i guess or love for for aragorn but then it kind of obviously does not pan out and then of course she gets kind of one of the coolest scenes in the movie where she gets to fight the ring wraith i thought that was pretty cool the witch king all right what's her next category i'm liking this this is fun Okay, well, this is a good transition, but I just want to make sure first. Andrew, did you have your answer? He said Gollum. I said Gollum. Okay. Uh, You didn't ask my answer for the uh, one before, though. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. So, most important? Oh, it's Gandalf. Oh, Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. All right. So, best female character, uh, similar to what you just got through saying uh, when talking about Eowyn. Uh, there are there are really only three choices for best female character. One of the weaknesses with Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit is they're not very gender balanced. Uh, so there are really only three choices, Eowyn, Arwen, and Galadriel. I like all three characters. I think all three of them are pretty awesome. And Arwen does get a chance to show her strength and ability early on in the first movie, but then she gradually just becomes the distant girlfriend. And then Galadriel, she's kind of enigmatic and she's very strong, but like I said, because of being enigmatic, she's kind of a little bit distant. When I watched the the trilogy this time, one of the things that I really clued into is just how much I love almost everything about Rohan. So easily my favorite female character out of just those three is Eowyn. You did miss one. Rosie. Rosie. Oh, okay. Rosie yeah, Cotton. True. Yeah, that's true. That's my answer. Rosie <laughs> Cotton. I, strangely enough, even though I think her character is seen like in three little glimpses. It's, it's, I think it's like three minutes, <laughs> yeah. maybe five minutes of the whole film. It's Rosie Cotton. Because if it hadn't been for Rosie Cotton and Sam loving Rosie Cotton, he never would have put up with Frodo's crap. I mean, 
Well, yeah, maybe so. He, she know. was a an interesting inspiration for them along the way because she was that that home. She was that sense of home, and and protecting that home and and motivation behind the scene that was. I thought very interesting. Um, she was she was hearth. Um, you know, uh, if if we're gonna get all mystical and stuff, in a lot of Greek stories, there is always a character that represents home and hearth, yeah. and the home and the hearth part in most Greek tragedies, stories, mythology, is the actual driving gold for the hero to try to accomplish what they're trying to do because that's what they're trying to get back to. By her representing that, it was ultimately what. Just drove the characters to the ultimate ending to say we're going to finish this so we can go back to this this is one of the few areas that i feel like the movies strayed a little bit from the book and to me not in a positive way in the books it would be very easy to point out galadriel as the top character, female character, her interactions, her gifts to the characters, her, you get a better sense of her sacrifice of giving up everything. We get a sense of Elrond and those elves going across, diminishing and going into the East and getting on the boats. And they didn't do a superb job at representing that in the movie um, I felt like her character was less likable than it was in the in the book west and, they went west went west whatever, whichever way yeah east uh, east is where all the bad people lived yeah <laughs> diminished and go to the west whatever they yeah um, but yeah her character remember your map would have been my favorite from the book but in the in the movie sadly it was portrayed a little weird and it just didn't hit home very well and i think they were trying to make it to where there was this greater sense of power in her as opposed to some of what was there but don't forget she was a bearer of a ring she was um and you do get the the one little scene and i think it was it was an extended um scene that was not if I remember correctly in the regular episode where we find out that uh, Gimli gets um, four of her hairs um, and that kind of, that was in the book and that shows you kind of what she was more of a, just a sense of beauty and awe. And, and I don't think that came across well in the movies. And so that really diminished her character's kind of likability. When she offered gifts, Mm-hmm. Gimli said something along the lines of I had never seen gold sparkle so brightly as the gold of your hair yeah. and that's the reason he asked for uh, two strands or, or, or some strands of her hair and she gave it to him but yeah and those gifts we see them come into play later not the strands of hair but you know the, the light that she gives and the, the rope and things like that those were, were more important and, and more they helped develop the story more in the book and they were kind of almost glossed over in the movie, which is a shame because that would have been my favorite character. Cause she was a phenomenal, um, interesting character in the book. Um, but it definitely loses some in the translation. I'm with you, Todd. Uh, Arwen is, is a very just kind of cool character in the movie. Mm-hmm. And I think the extended edition makes that even better uh i think they definitely increase her part and all right whoa you, you said arwen did you mean Eowyn? yes i'm sorry yeah see i wish again <laughs> yes Eowyn. um yeah she does get the coolest one of the coolest lines too and then what andrew best female character i guess the one that was that took one of the hobbits into battle yeah, you're, four, you're fourteen. You're fourteen years old, and you didn't pay attention to the female characters. <laughs> He's fourteen years old. He's not thinking about girls yet, technically. Well, I am. It's just 
You picked the same one Todd and Dave did. Trust me. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I've already mentioned about how I really clued into just how much I love uh, all Rohan stuff. So next category is best performance. And I have to give that to Bernard Hill as Theoden. And don't get me wrong. There's some, some great performances and especially Ian McKellen is, is Gandalf and everything. I'm, just great performances all around, but there, there's just something about the depth of emotion from Bernard Hill, especially when he's reacting to losing his son. And then later on, he's got that great moment where the beacons are lit. And earlier he was talking about screw Gondor. Where were they when, when we had trouble, but nope, when the beacons are lit, he's like, and Rohan will answer. And that's just a great moment. And then uh, talking more about moments, hopefully we'll get to that uh, eventually. But I mentioned how this time there was one moment that got me emotionally more so than other times that I've watched it. And I still can't even explain why I watched it. It made me uh, tear up. I, I rewound it so I could write down the quotes. It made me tear up again. And it involved Theoden and Eowyn. And there's just something about the depth of his performance that I, I, I have to say Bernard Hill as Theoden is the best performance in the, in the trilogy. I'm going to go with Elijah Wood, Frodo. I, I felt like there was a lot of kind of emotion and range that had to go with that. You know, I felt like as I watched his character from start to finish of this series, I felt the weight increase. And to me, that seems like something that would almost be impossible to portray. How do you show that this is dragging you down going from, you know, when they first left the Shire to when the the ring falls in to the fires of Mordor, I, I felt that change in his character along the way, each step. So yeah, I'm gonna throw that. I mean, that, that seems kind of like an easy one, but but I'm gonna throw that out there because I thought that was a great performance. I felt like his change overall was more shown by the makeup they put on him than the actual no, performance. Okay. I mean, you could see a like emotional change as we go on, but honestly, you can see just his skin get like gradually darker and just he looks tired and older. Yeah. And, and and I wouldn't, I don't want to discount that part of that isn't costume and makeup and things, but I felt like I felt the weight too. And I think that would be hard to do if it was just makeup. Like in his interactions with everybody, I kind of felt that his change. What you got, Dave? If there was one person that gave the best performance, it's Gollum. You have to play a schizophrenic. He was basically playing two characters basically here's a guy that to put it in star wars terms was playing both luke skywalker and darth vader as the same person and had to pull that off in a a maybe not necessarily a seamless manner but there's a lot of times in that film where there doesn't appear to be a cut where he goes from you know love is hobbises and and my precious you know and it's just like whoa it's such a disturbing switch between the two crawling around having to act animalistic and yet pulling off this whole light side fighting the dark side type of thing through you know okay maybe it went through a lot of the first movie and and maybe it was just some of the second movie but it was definitely all of the third movie yeah i'm gonna have to say Gollum. yeah i had to step away for a bio break while you guys were were kind of struggling to, to come up with somebody. And I happened to think of that while I was in the bathroom. I was like, why is somebody not saying Gollum? Cause you guys were talking about how he's the most sympathetic yet. Yeah, he he's, he's quite possibly one of the best performances in the movie too, because of the challenge of pulling that off because it was that motion capture when motion capture was kind of primitive. And I'm not sure it's called motion capture. It might be called performance capture or something like that. But anyway, uh, he had to wear that, you know, green suit and everything. Andy circus had to uh, also do the voice. So I think he had to have a constant stream of, of hot tea going in his throat to keep his throat in shape to to pull off that voice and then like you said the schizophrenic nature and everything I mean, there is a lot going into that and even though i consider Gollum to be kind of an annoying character it's still a very effective and and successful performance all right what else you got for us dad Okay, so last category, uh, just all-around favorites. And I've got three, and I ranked them. And they're probably not a big surprise considering my previous answers. I've got Aragorn first, but a very close second is Theoden, and a very close third is Eowyn. Yeah, obviously Aragorn is just phenomenal. But then I really did love Sam. I just find Sam to be such an underappreciated part of the story. 
who do I leave out? I'm going to go Aragorn, Gimli, and Sam. Okay. Dave, Andrew, either one of you want to go next? Top three characters? Uh, I refuse to answer this question based on the fact that I don't think you can literally rank them. <laughs> it is okay. And you know, I probably would have had different answers a few years ago when I saw this last time. But like I said, Rohan just struck a nerve with me this time. And I was like, they're awesome. My favorite character is the guy who, when they're in the, the, the Prancy Pony, picks up the Hobbit to set him in the human-sized chair. <laughs> I like okay. the, I like the orc general at the the battle where they're firing the stuff in the catapult and he just steps to the side <laughs> and spits on it after yeah. it lands. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty good. He actually has a name and he's actually a very important character. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite character is the the orc who's screaming outside the Battle of Helm's Deep and gets shot with the arrow and it just shuts everybody up. <laughs> the first guy. It's like... Yeah, the first guy. The poor old guy's holding the bow and, and, and you, he just kind of lets tell the old guy just went, oh crap, what did I do? And it's like, oh yeah, you, you effed up, bud. <laughs> they might have gone away if you just let him shout, but no, you had to shoot one. Well, and that might be understandable because I'm not an expert on archery in any way, shape, or form. But I thought I saw on on either the internet or TV one time somebody say that the proper way to the proper way to do it is you is you don't hold it. You you pull it back and you fire. You be ready to aim and you fire. The fact that all of them were just kind of sitting there with their bows drawn and holding it forever has yeah. to be a strain. Yeah, if you're old, eventually you might slip, especially with rain. Really and truly, the whole battle at Helm's Deep started because. The guy was seventy some years old. <laughs> you know, whoops! And it's you know, it's like I didn't tell you to fire. It's like you didn't tell him to not pull back on the boat either, dumbass. So anyway, <laughs> all right. I do want to keep this episode from going too long. And yeah, I too know, late. I know we want to do some um, favorite moments. Well, actually, I, best I, moment. I, I named them moments of awesomeness moments of awesomeness so we're gonna do moments of awesomeness in this movie in these movies andrew so we don't let you fall asleep you got to give me the first moment of awesomeness in any of these three movies does andrew have a moment of awesomeness will andrew stay awake is andrew asleep already which two moments in return of the king get todd emotional which moments in the trilogy get the daves emotional will each co-host be able to keep the number of favorite moments down below a dozen do any of the co-hosts have nitpicks for these excellent films just how high do they score them find out the answers to these questions in part two of the discerning geeks portal special discussion topic the lord of the rings film trilogy